Hello and welcome to the Mostly Weather Hall of Fame. In this new series, we're going to look at the lives and achievements of significant people from the history of weather and from forecasting. I'm Claire Whittam and I'm joined by our podcast regulars today, who are Catherine Ross. Hello. And Jeff Norwood-Brown. Hello. Excellent. So to start off with then, I think we need to choose someone who's very important to the Met Office and to the birth of the concept of weather forecasting. And Catherine, I think you're going to introduce us to one of the the really key figures in this world. Uh, Yes, I thought I'd talk about Robert Fitzroy, who is pretty critical to the foundation of the Met Office and in fact to much of the foundation of meteorological science. Uh, But before he did all of that, he was already a really successful naval captain um, he had uh, developed a, a very uh, good skill in surveying and had, had mapped large areas of coastline in the world. Um, he was a pioneer in, in many different fields and actually not so well known. Um, Darwin, everyone's heard of on the Beagle, but its captain was Fitzroy. Oh, wow. That's really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so there's a link between lots of new inventions, shall we say, in the scientific world that were happening around the same time. It's an incredible coincidence on the Beagle that, that, that uh, you know, Fitzroy actually had Darwin on board. Yes, and do you know the reason why he had Darwin on board? <laughs> yes, strangely enough, it was because Fitzroy thought that he might go mildly insane being the only gentleman of class on board the boat because, of course, it was inappropriate for him to speak to any of the lesser p- members of the crew. Oh, really? So, so they were effectively just segregated? Absolutely. Like the, captain it was, the, the class system was, was strict. Um, and so, therefore, he, he, he knew that, you know, that, that this would be a strain for him and months and months at sea would be a problem. So he looked for a, 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 a promising young gentleman with a preferably an interest in natural sciences to come along with him, who was recommended by Beaufort. Um, and th- so they, they went out together. And they were actually only supposed to get as far as South America um, and, and to chart the area around there, which is why you get things like Mount Fitzroy um, in, in the border of Argentina. So um, that's named after the captain of the ship that was in charge of the surveying. Absolutely, which is, which is actually our Robert Fitzroy. Brilliant. Yes. Um, but in the end, they ended up going all the way around the world um, and, of course, um, visiting the Galapagos, which resulted in the origin of the species. So whenabouts were they doing this trip? Any idea? I- I mean, I guess the origin of the species came out sort of late 1800s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Kind of, I think it's around the 1820s, but I'm, to be honest, can't remember the exact date, which I should know. Because um, I think it was quite a long trip, wasn't it? You know, yeah, you said they it, it was a year. Trip. Yeah, at least a year. They were. They would have been at sea to go around the world. And I guess in those days, it would have taken quite a long time just to sail from the UK to, I guess, the southern coast of South America. Yeah, and, that, that's you know, months by time. itself. Yeah, that's six months just by itself. I think they just decided to carry on because they were probably already halfway. Right, uh, why not? <laughs> when you've already got to Chile, you might as well carry, carry on, on the coast and <laughs> see what you can find. I don't know how much of it is true, but I have heard that the Fitzroy picked Darwin as a companion because he liked the shape of his nose. <laughs> really? All things possible. Make of that what you will. <laughs> Have we any idea what shape his nose was? No, but I think at the time it, it was felt that the shape of your nose or the shape of your skull was a good indication of your character. And Fitzroy liked the shape of Darwin's nose. Oh, interesting. And I'll leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it must be said that, that Fitzroy was a, um, a very religious man. He was a creationist. Um, and. Oops. 
Yes, um, and he he did not take at all kindly to uh, Darwin's eventual outcome of this trip being the origin of the species. Um, and in fact, um, when Darwin presented his origin of species at Oxford, um, Fitzroy is thought to have stood up in the audience with a Bible on his head, claiming that none of it could be true. Okay, Gosh, that so they proves st- it then. <laughs> they started off as, I guess, contemporaries. They, yes, and, and, and they drifted a very long way apart. Well, it, it, it's a game-changing opinion, isn't it? You know, going from, you know, religion to evolution, you know. And, and this is why Darwin spent so much time not publishing the evolution, you know, uh, origin of the species, I should say, uh, because it was so controversial, you know. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, Fitzroy does have a bit of a reputation for being sort of slightly on the sidelines of science in that aspect, but we shouldn't take away from him what he went on to achieve. Um, he came back fr- from from that, um, and then we sort of fast forward to 1850, the 1850s um, and the, the, the start of, of international interest in meteorology. Um, and by this point, we get to 1853 and the International Conference in Brussels. Uh, which was set up by a gentleman called Matthew, Montaigne, Matthew Fontaine Maury, who might be the subject of a different one of these at some time, I suspect. Um, oh, really? What did he do? <laughs> Just give us a quick sneak preview then. I've not uh, heard that name. He was um, an American naval lieutenant um, who was injured and essentially got dumped in charge of the charts depot um, and realised that actually he was looking after a treasury of information because he had every ship's log from thousands of voyages all sorts of different observations, and he, if he could pull all that information together, then he could get a feel for, you know, he could sort of chart the globe according to wind speeds and currents and all that kind of thing, because each individual captain kept those records, but no one had put it together and looked at it as a whole. Oh, interesting. Yeah, definitely someone we should return to. <laughs> yeah, he's quite important. So, so back he, to his conference Yes, then. he actually called that conference for exactly that purpose. Let's try and get everybody else's records together and improve what we've already got. And I guess Fitzroy had armfuls of the stuff from when he was going around South America? Well, yes and no. The Royal Navy had armfuls of the stuff. The Royal Navy had a huge number of logs. Um, But at this point, Fitzroy isn't quite on the agenda. We've got the government going, yeah, actually, this looks like a good idea. We'll set up a meteorological department. We need someone to run it. Mm -hmm. They looked at the Royal Society and the ubiquitous Beaufort came in again and again and said, well, I can recommend somebody who might be able to do that. How about you try Robert Fitzroy? So he was then appointed as the meteorological statist to the Board of Trade. Statist or yes. statist? Statist, as in statistician, because his job was literally to pull together data. I've never heard that word before. Yeah, yeah OK. <laughs> it's Most not one that we use very cleaners, much. But, <laughs> um, so, yes, so Robert Fitzroy comes in and starts literally pulling together data, starts doing very much the same thing as Matthew Fontaine Maury. Actually, he reworked Maury's charts while he was waiting for more data to come in for himself, because it mm-hmm. takes a few years, obviously, to start that sort of ball rolling. Um, and he came up with a series of wind stars and um, So charts. wind stars? Yes, wind, uh, they're wind stars, which essentially is, is, a, is a pilot chart. It's, it's, it's um, divide the globe up into 10 degree squares and then draw a, li- draw a star in the middle that looks a bit like a wind rose. Think of it a little bit like a wind rose and it'll tell you um, the average wind speed direction, current, all that kind of thing for, for the, sort of each quarter of the year. So obviously captains could work out when the wind would be more likely to be prevailing from the southwest or when, when it changed or where the currents were lighter and stronger. Um, oh, it shaved gosh. weeks off of journey times. That sounds really clever. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, just pictures, but yeah. uh, encapsulating huge amounts of huge information. Huge amounts of data and literally at a glance. 
and that captains would know how to interpret yes. that and they would have yeah. that with them wherever they were. Wherever the they world. were, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Who and needs, all who before needs, Excel. Well, yeah. yeah. Who needs a mobile phone as well? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's really clever stuff. Um, so that was basically what he was doing until we get to the game changer, which was the Royal Charter Storm, which took place on the 25th and 26th of October 1859. That Whereabouts was, was this storm? A major storm which hit basically up the Irish Sea, but actually did go straight across the UK. Um, okay. Any idea? I mean, how would that compare to something that we're familiar with these days? We'd have to be thinking 87 Gale Plus. So the 1987 storms, yeah. that sort of scenario. And the Royal Charter yeah. was the ship that was The Royal Charter was, sh- was the main ship that went down. 80 ships at least went down in the storm. The Royal Charter was just the biggest one. And that was um, off Anglesey? Yes, it sank off of Anglesey. Um, and with a loss of over 450 lives, about 10 people uh, And they were saved. so close to shore as well. That yep. was the... Sad yeah. thing, yeah. yeah, they were in sight of the shore, but no one could reach them. Um, no women and children were saved. Um, and it was actually, it was coming back from uh, Australia with, with passengers from the gold rush. So it also had about £35,000 worth of gold on board, all of which went straight to the bottom. Oh, okay. Some of it's only recently and been that's recovered. still there, is it? Um, I think most of it's been recovered, but some of it oh. only in fairly recent years. Actually, just planning an excursion. Yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> just wandering where can along I the hire beach. A boat? <laughs> um, so yes, there was a major storm, major loss of life, um, and this was the this was the era of the, the start of the newspapers, mass media, um, and the British population as a whole were going. We should have been able to stop this from happening. Okay, we couldn't stop the weather, but couldn't we have warned them? Couldn't we have done something mm. to prevent this loss of life? Uh, Fitzroy basically came straight back with, yes, I could have predicted that. From what we've gained, from all the knowledge, the data, everything else we've got, we could have pulled together a forecast. We could have warned the ships. Because there was a huge resistance, wasn't there, originally to Fitzroy, and uh, a lot of scepticism about how he could actually do this, you know. And uh... Yeah, totally. I mean, the Royal Society did not believe it was possible. I mean, for a start, they weren't even interested in collecting observations over land because they thought it was too complicated. You know, they certainly didn't think it for Forecasting was was a feasible option. It was just, you know, it was the will of God and you couldn't possibly actually pull all this data together and and see what would be coming. So even though we've got really long-term weather records for parts of the UK, the Royal Society just, they weren't interested in that side of things. They just just didn't didn't think think forecasting was an option. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it, they just they didn't believe it. Um, but I think basically because of the amount of public pressure, government went, okay, give it a go. We've got to be seen to be doing something. Um, so they let Fitzroy start the war- his gale warning service, and the first gale warning went out in February in 1861, and that's now known as the Shipping Forecast. It's the longest-running national forecasting stroke warning service in the world. That's incredible. So 1861, the first forecast. Yeah. And we still have the shipping forecast today. 150 plus years later, yeah. we're still using that idea. Yeah. Fantastic. And interestingly, he put those warnings out via, well, he collected in, um, information via the, t- the new telegraph system. We couldn't have done it without the telegraph. He sent all the warnings back to the coasts using the telegraph, but you still had to get that to the ships. Um, so he used a really simple version of basically putting symbols up masts, cones and drums, and you kind of, depending on which way up it was, it told you which way the wind was going to come from. It really was that simple. Um, but it worked. It worked so well they didn't stop it till 1984. I was thinking that <laughs> doesn't sound too unfamiliar to, to things yeah. I might have seen previously. So, OK, it's been in use for, for a long time. And I guess he was a, uh, a naval man. So this idea of signalling using flags or objects hoisted up masts would have been what he'd been used yes, to. Yes, it would from, have been fairly, sim- you know, fairly simple for him to, to think about that as a means of, of long distance communication or communication to ships because he knew what they could see. 
Of um, course, and over what distance? And the yes. sailors equally were used to interpreting that kind of signal. Yeah, so. and it was very simple, so you know, it worked. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of the dawn of forecasting. Uh, he launched his first public weather forecast in August of that year. He didn't have government permission to do that, actually. He just thought people would be interested. And what form did that take? I mean, we're obviously not talking about broadcasting on the TV like we would do now. No, that was a forecast which went out in the newspaper, in the Times, actually. Oh, right. Um, and we'd already been publishing observations that those were going out anyway. So he just slipped four lines underneath the observations, which was called general weather probable for the the next two days and I've actually got his original copy of that in front of me written in in his um his is that actually the original this is the original in his handwriting oh yes. my goodness oh wow so Catherine has this big kind of tome in front of her right? making it sound quite great grand uh which is sort of bluish tinged paper which is that just aging of the paper no it was just original. blue paper yeah and uh incredibly neat writing tell us what the the different bits are on the top there um so this is a register of of information being sent in from all the different weather stations around the coast that were sending information to fitzroy um so you've got the pressure you've got the temperature the wind direction um cloud amounts that kind of things um so that he could he could pull that together look for changes look for whether pressure's rising pressure's falling winds changing direction that kind of thing and then put decide whether he needed to issue a warning um and also, you know, at the same time, he was looking to see, well, you know, what does this indicate the weather's going to be like on land at these various different places? Well, north, south, east, west. It was pretty simple at the time. Um, so but this is a huge problem in these days, isn't it? In, in, in the fact that you can rely on observations today, but there's, in, in, in Fitzroy's time, there was no way of communicating this information. So, you, you know, you could do an observation, you know, the wind speed and you know, cloud cover and what have you, is this at this point, but do you post that off to London? To well, this is why they use and the Telegraph. Com- yeah, and, yeah, and this is it, and the Telegraph was was uh, fundamental in, yeah. in weather forecasting. We couldn't have existed we, there without There was no it. way we could have done it beforehand. No, absolutely none. This uh, document's amazing, so I think we'll definitely get a copy of it up in the show notes, and we'll make sure we put a photo out on the, the our Twitter feed, so do check out the at mw underscore podcast twitter feed if you want to see a picture of this incredible document and we'll also get it on the show notes on the met office website um that table of information then did they use that to convert it into maps and charts that we might be familiar um, with charts today? a little bit later on okay um but this was basically just a text forecast initially um and it was just really brief i mean it says general weather probable next two days in the north moderate westerly wind fine west moderate southwesterly wind fine south fresh westerly fine Oh my goodness, it even sounds like the shipping forecast. <laughs> just that tone. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's 150 years old and yeah. it sounds like something you'd hear sounds on radio like something you'd hear today. Was and it actually, right? One of the things. Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he tried to sort of get a little bit beyond his abilities and the abilities of, of observational science at the time. Um, and he did then get criticised very heavily, uh, which he took, unfortunately, very much to heart. Thank um, God that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> well, uh, thank God it doesn't happen to the extent it did then. Um, unfortunately, Fitzroy wa- was not the sta- most stable man in the world. No, he was, uh, uh, yeah, a troubled <laughs> chap, wasn't he, really? Yes, and it is thought that one of the reasons behind his suicide was the fact that he was just being criticised so much for everything that he was trying to do. Um, he founded the science of meteorology. He called it that, um, and people just did not believe it was possible. Mm. Uh, 
So, and he also invented the word forecast, is that right? Yes, he invented the term forecast, the term synoptic chart, because it was a synopsis of the situation at the time. Um, many of the instructions he gave for forecasting are things that we would still think of using today. You talk in probabilities, not certainties. Um, really? He states that specifically in his weather book, never talk in terms of certainties. Um, and he wrote a book? Yes, he wrote a book about Scotch, weather forecasting okay. in his summer holidays. He was a workaholic. As um, you do. Yes, yep. as you do. Um, he invented a barometer specifically for the use of fishermen because you can only warm the big ports, you couldn't warm the little ports. Mm-hmm. Um, and he trained fishermen as well, didn't he? He had these, these barometers installed in ports, yeah. uh, in, in local fishing villages and things like that, and, and he trained fishermen to read the barometer and, and try and understand it for themselves. And yeah. so Jeff, as, a, as an Ex-forecaster, what's the importance of a barometer? Ex-observer, I'm not a forecaster. (laughs) Or I'll get into a lot of trouble for that. My mistake. But why would the barometer be so important then? So the pressure is is, is remaining constant, then, um, you know, basically the weather will remain constant. As soon as the pressure starts dropping, um, that's a good indication that there might be a cyclone heading towards you. By cyclone, I just mean an area of low pressure. It doesn't necessarily necessarily mean, um, you know, particularly bad weather but it's a good uh, indication of changeable weather coming your way yeah and Fitzroy's rules were very much kind of um it, they were almost rhyming it was it was intended they were written in such a way that fishermen could easily remember you know um soon forecast soon past and that kind of thing it was kind of things you could easily remember really because that's really I, I was i was just listening to something the other day that said that humans are very good at remembering poetry mm. but you know just give them a fact they won't remember it give them a rhyme yeah, and they will a you know. chance. yes that's great and i guess literacy amongst fishermen might not have been brilliant at that it time wouldn't either. have been great i don't think but um presumably again that was sort of part of the teaching and also I mean, he worked with rnli stations um you know the, the the door in the met office and the development of the rnli tie up quite closely um and so yeah he would have been using th- those uh, specialists to try and help the fishermen to, to understand the, the barometers as well and of course not only did it save lives of those on board ships it also saved the lives of the of the lifeboat crews who didn't have to try and go out in appalling conditions to try and save them of course of course so uh, you've already mentioned Fitzroy's suicide and I, I did read that after this had happened, they tried to basically stop the issuing of forecasts and uh, particularly the fishing fleets. You know, the captains were pleased because Fitzroy's warning signals on his mast were stopping the fleets from going out when there was a storm warning. Um, and so the stopping of the forecast meant that the fishermen could just be sent out whenever. But the fishermen were really unhappy about this because actually it had saved so many lives and that that possibly then led to the reintroduction of the forecasts. Do you know any more about the history of that period? Um, a little bit. Um, so there were, obviously you had your, your, your newspaper forecasts and you had your gale warnings and you have to think of them quite separately. Okay. Um, everything was initially stopped. Um, but yes, massive public pressure because of the loss of life, pr- pressure from the fishermen, pressure from, from the maritime communities through their MPs. Um, did force the, you know, the, re- the reinstatement of the warning system very quickly. It was back within, about, I think, about a year. Um, but we didn't start actually putting out public weather forecasts again until the 1870s. Oh, so there was a bigger, much bigger, bigger gap, gap yes. But his legacy lived on almost immediately. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the legacy of forecasting, of warning, things that are still so important today, you know, comes, c- comes from Fitzroy and, and only with a very brief hiatus. And is it right to say that we sort of treat him as the, the founding father, if you like? Yeah, we would consider him as the founder of the Met Office and the founder of meteorology as a science. 
Perfect. Well, that sounds like a great place to stop today's Hall of Fame on Robert Fitzroy. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks, Thanks, Jeff. You're welcome. Uh, we will put up a picture of this, as I said, on the, the Met Office web pages with the show notes for today's podcast. And as I also mentioned, do have a look at our Twitter feed, so at MW underscore podcast, where we'll also include some extra bits and pieces about Robert Fitzroy. Okay, thanks both, and join us again for the next Hall of Fame podcast. Mm-hmm.